Welcome to the F3 Knoxville family of podcasts. Hello and welcome to the spring break edition of Beyond the Cot, an F3 Knoxville podcast. Um, as you noticed, there was no Monday or Wednesday podcast this week, so no normal Beyond the Cot, no uh, picking up the six on Wednesday, and there will be no normal mumble chatter tomorrow on Friday. Um, I am spending this week, like I mentioned last week, not on some wonderful vacation and relaxing and whatever. I have been spent this week uh, doing a little working at school and doing a little home improvement stuff and uh, queuing as much as I can. I got Monday, got Tuesday, had a little migraine yesterday morning at Shamrock with those boys really picked up the uh, really picked up the slack for me, you know, letting them know I couldn't see out of one eye yesterday morning at about 5.05, and I probably wasn't going to make the beat down. Uh, so thank you to Mermaid and those guys over at Shamrock for, for uh, helping me out. Uh, queued this morning at Dog Pound for a nice St. Patty's Day. Uh, however, uh, I know being spring break, we were a little light, so it was ribbed and I, and we just, we did our normal ruck around the Dog Pound, uh, making sure that there were no snakes like St. Patrick casting the snakes out of Dog Pound. Uh, Good thing we didn't see any. We did see a couple skunks. It is getting warmer that time of year. So um, headed over to a 2.0 workout in the morning at the Equalizer. Um, It's at normal 5.30 time. Um, But uh, I'm spending some time this week also working on the podcast and trying to make it better. So uh, one of the things I'm trying to do is to get a little bit more intentional with the intros and the outros. been told that my music was a little folksy and needs to be more upbeat and I'm working on that as well. Um, If there's anybody who uh, has any suggestions, has any uh, tips or tricks with this, I am using Anchor, uh, no free ads, but Anchor um, to uh, put out this podcast. So it's a little limited in some of its music and some of its editing capabilities. So I'm I'm searching out for other working on some other uh, different apps and and software to to edit and and overlay music and stuff for the intros and for the outros and for transitions and stuff like that. So um, I am using part of this week for that as well. Um, But for today, you're going to get something a little bit more special. Um, We are, uh, I am going to actually uh, be re-releasing along with this here as the intro, re-releasing uh, one of the first, I think probably the first uh, F3 podcast, F3 Knoxville podcast I listened to to kind of get me going um, on this whole podcast journey, and that is when Steam interviewed Crawdad. Um, I've worked out with Crawdad many times at the Asylum on Saturday mornings. Uh, he is an interesting guy. I love him to death. He uh, has had an interesting life and career, and I love listening to hear more about that through this interview with Steam. Um, if you haven't checked out, he's got a couple books out. Um, I've gotten the other virus on uh, on a uh, on Amazon, and I, I've read through that. I keep forgetting to throw it in the in the van to get him to sign it on a Saturday morning. Hopefully, I can I can see if he'll be there this week and, and get him to sign it, so I have a nice little limited edition signed Crawdad copy of the other virus. Uh, right now, uh, for the life of me, I can't remember the name the title of his other book. I do know that in that book there is a guy, a character, and he alludes to it in this interview with Steam, uh, who is an F3 guy in his book. I think that is the coolest thing ever to, to get that connection. Um, so here it is. Uh, 
there'll be a little bit of me here at the end uh, with a little outro uh, uh, after this interview with Crawdad that Steam did back in, uh, I believe, 2020. Good morning, Robbie Dickens. Good morning, sir. Fantastic. Thank you for having me. Excited hey, you're to chat welcome, with I am glad that you uh, you could be here, brother. I am I'm excited. Um, we have a lot of good stuff to dive into today. Um, I know we're gonna dive into a little bit of your background and 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 history and and, and your professional experience here and um, and, and also your book that just came out, The Missionary. Um, I'm a couple chapters in now and, and love it. So I'm excited to, to hear, hear your thoughts Excellent. and heart on that. Um, and then we'll, we'll also talk about a little bit of your F3 experience and, and kind of uh, what you have seen in, in F3 so far and maybe how that's benefited you and, um, and your life and family as well. So I love yeah, it. I'm, I mean, I'm hey, what, what a great way to spend an hour, right? We're going to talk about... <laughs> My book and my F3 experience. I'm, I'm, I'm fired up, excited. I uh, appreciate you having me. Uh, honored to be on the F3 podcast and especially going out to such a great group, group of guys and hopefully gals as well. So, man, let's dive in. I'm, I'm excited. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, so let's start with, with you. So um, kind of fill in our audience and, and tell us a little bit about um, – your, your professional experience and, and kind of how you got to this point leading up to uh, your, your book here. Absolutely. So my name is, I go by Robbie, Robbie Dickens. Uh, my author name is Robertson. That's my real name. And, um, and so I was born and raised in the Louisiana, uh, the great state of Louisiana, sportsman's paradise. And I uh, lived in Monroe, West Monroe for the first 15 years. Uh, the home of Duck Dynasty, Willie Robertson, those guys, great guys. And then we moved to Shreveport, Bossier City area, which is the home of Barksdale Air, Air Force Base and uh, the home of the 8th Air Force. And so born and raised in Louisiana and went to undergraduate at a um, work-study institution, College of the Ozarks, also called Hard Work U in Branson, Missouri. Uh, it's actually just across the river from Branson, Missouri. And so I was there uh, in undergraduate. And um, my junior year, or the summer after my junior year, I was fortunate enough to um, get an internship in, in the White House. And so I interned in the White House Office of Political Affairs under a gentleman named Ken Melman. He was the deputy assistant to the president at the time. The president was George W. Bush. It was 2001, the summer of 2001. Hmm. And honestly, it was a fantastic time to be in the White House. And so... Um, any references to uh, the White House and the Eisenhower Executive Office building and the secret library and things like that are actually things that I've been to and seen in person. And so uh, just some fantastic experiences. And so being in the White House, um, my brother, my older brother, Reed Dickens, was also the assistant press secretary. And uh, he had an office in the West Wing. And so I was really lucky and blessed enough to uh, mooch off his coattails. And so, um, I actually lived with him and he helped me get the internship. And so then it was just up to me to work my tail off. And so extremely grateful. So anybody ever tells you they've worked or interned at the white house, um, they didn't just get in the door because they sent a resume. 
and then mm -hmm. they were just these especially um, charming characters. Uh, they knew someone, and so I did as well. And so, um, intern there, my junior or my uh, summer off after my junior year, and went back to undergraduate to finish. And actually, I had to to get internship credit. I had to write an essay uh, on my time in the White House, and. The day I had to go turn it into my professor, I'll never forget this, was a beautiful, crisp uh, September morning in 2001, September 11th, 2001. Mm -hmm. And um, I got a phone call from my mom, said, hey, your brother just called, said we probably won't hear from him for a few days, but turn on the television. We've been attacked. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is funny slash ironic now, but. I didn't have a cell phone. I was 21 or 22 years old. I didn't have a cell phone. And so we turned on the radio, I think, first, and then found this old school clunky TV in the office. I worked for the dean of, uh, the, dean of the college at the time. And so we turned on the television and watched the towers fall. And so that really help chart the course for the rest of my life. And so I remember standing in my dorm room that day and just my roommate and I, we, we, it's like we couldn't comprehend what we were seeing along with the rest of the country. And so, um, so my brother lived across the street from the Pentagon on the 19th floor of uh, these condos and his condo overlooked, you know, across the interstate the Pentagon. And so, that overlooks where uh, obviously all the carnage was. And so it, mm -hmm. it, it shook me to the core. And so I finished undergraduate in um, December of 2001 and then went back to DC in April of 2002 and started my first job in DC um, as a pol political appointee. It's called it Schedule C appointee for mm -hmm. George W. Bush at the time in 2002. And um, that was kind of phase two, if you will. Are, are we good? You want me to keep, keep trucking through this? Yeah, yeah man. That, um, yeah, I, I had no idea. I, I think that's really awesome. And um, even that you remember in detail that much about where you were on 9-11, you know, I, I think so. So I'm, I'm 26 and, and, and still remember where, where I was. You know, I, I was with my family and vividly remember that, but um for for people that that lived through that and, and can vividly reimagine exactly where they were um that that is really powerful and 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 so previous to 911 you you already had that political experience per se and um and it kind of ran in your family a little bit with your brother as as well so did did anything change i guess in your mindset of of why you went back to um to Washington after 9-11 or, or I guess what, what shifted for you um, after that and after graduating college as well? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I already knew I wanted to be back in DC and mm -hmm. I thought maybe work for the secret service, maybe work for the department of defense. I really couldn't put my finger on it. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't like I woke up on September 12th with this, you know, level of clarity and that I could articulate exactly what I wanted. I just knew I, w I wanted to be back there. Uh, yeah. It was like you had this drawing feeling like I have to be there. Um, and obviously it was 
the sense of nationalism and the pride that we felt, but it was also just, that was across the street from where I lived. Yeah. And so in 2002, um, I really wanted to work for the secretary of defense. And so, um, long story short, I got a job offer to work in the United States department of education, which I'll be frank with you. I was not thrilled about, um, <laughs> But at the time, it's the only offer I had, and I thought, you know what, I got to take it. So mm -hmm. I accepted the offer, and I'm not kidding you. The day I was packing up to leave for D.C., I get a phone call, and it's from OSD, Office of the Secretary of Defense, mm -hmm. and they want me to come in and interview to work for them. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And so, you know, this was how I was raised. I had given the Department of Education my word that I was starting there. And mm -hmm. so I turned OSD down. I mean, not that it was an offer, it was an interview, but I turned that down and said, no, I've already committed to a position at education and that's what I'm going to go do. And sure. so I'm, I'm so glad I did because once I got there, um, my third day there, literally on the job. So I, I get to the Department of Education, my first day I report for duty. And the guy who had interviewed me and I was going to be on this traveling team, if you will, mm -hmm. I sit down with him on day one and he says, hey, listen, you know, kind of a bummer, but uh, the job we, we hired you for, it really doesn't exist anymore. Okay. All right. That's not ideal. He said, but we'll, yeah. we'll figure something out. So on day three, um, the secretary of education at the time, whose name was Rod Page, uh, he was the first African-American secretary of education in the United States history. His personal aide, his special assistant, I saw him in, a, in the hallway and I had met him one time at a Bible study in DC. I didn't know him well, but I knew who he was. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, his name was Eric Walker. And so he hits me up in the hallway. He goes, Hey, listen, he pulls me off to the side. Do you have any interest in being the secretary's special assistant personal aide? And I was like, uh, yeah, of course I do. <laughs> and he said, yeah. well, I'm on my way out. I've been looking for the replacement. So long story short, uh, I start traveling with the secretary, um, who was a cabinet member. And I went from undergraduate to being at home for two months, coaching my little brother's baseball teams to being in DC with no job to three days later, I get this lead. And so I start over the course of two or three months, I start traveling with the U S secretary of education. Wow. And so at that point it, it got to be a bit surreal. Um, mm -hmm. there, listen, in DC, there's this power spectrum, right? There are people that think they're powerful sure. because they have access to power. And then there are people that are actually powerful. I was actually <laughs> on the former end. I was just, I just had access to powerful people. I was a nobody. But um, I was a special assistant, and so I got my top secret clearance, and um, and I began to travel with him. A as part of his duties of being a cabinet member, uh, obviously they're called constitutional officers, mm -hmm. they have some constitutional duties um, th that are classified, and I started participating in those. And, um, you know, the United States is an interesting place with our classification systems. There's things you can watch on TV and Google but they remain classified. So if, if you're a Kiefer Sutherland fan and you have Netflix, you could get a pretty good sense of, of what those movies were. Um, yeah. So I started traveling, participating um, with the secretary and, and in the course of that meeting some interesting people. And so that, to be honest with you, this is a long way to answer your question. That is when I had the clarity that I want to be involved in this dark secret world of national security. That was when I had the most clarity. And so at this point, um, I'm 23, 24, and so um, 
I have the clarity, but I, I don't know what to do about it, frankly. And so sure. in August of 2003, uh, Caitlin and I got married um, and uh, the secretary called me in and said, hey, basically, we've got to get you a real job. You can't be traveling because we would travel sometimes 15, 20 days a month and wow. work, you know, 100 hour weeks. And it was a blast, but you make no money and you have a you work a ton and it's not a great married life. And so hmm. I transferred into being a liaison to the House and Senate for the Department of Education. And so during that time, I, I'm in this weird zone because I still have a top secret clearance, mm -hmm. but I'm in very much of a day job. And so uh, a turning point for me was I went to a classified job fair. So you had to have a top secret clearance to get in the job fair, wow. which is kind of a cool little vibe. And, and so uh, you show your street creds, if you will, you get in and then, and then it's just a job fair, right? And you walk mm -hmm. around, but every booth, the jobs they're hiring for classified. And so I get a lead there and, I, and I'm pretty excited. And so I go home, I tell Caitlin, hey, listen, they're looking to hire somebody. I think it was in Hamburg, Germany. I think it was Hamburg, oh, anyway, wow. somewhere in Germany. And so I'm, I'm fired up, we're newlyweds. At the time, I think we may have had, so we got pregnant pretty, uh, pretty soon after we got married. So we may have had Carter at the time, also mm -hmm. known as Jumbo and F3. <laughs> and, um, and so I interview on the phone and they said, man, we really like you. We like your clearance, but you don't really have any credentials in the international world. Uh, you don't have a master's degree. And so they rejected me for the position. Hmm. And so that day I went home and I told Caitlin, hey, I know I said I'd never go back and get a master's degree, but if I'm going to pursue this, um, you know, I need some credentials. And so based yeah. on that, I went back to Texas A&M to the George Bush School of Government and Public Service and studied with some of the finest human beings I've ever gotten to know. Hmm. Uh, many of them work across the globe in official, non-official capacities and just different jobs, uh, both um, secretive and non-secretive, just a great group of people. And mm -hmm. so leaving there, I had my master's degree in, in international affairs with an emphasis in national security. And being there was just like a intellectual, cerebral, national cornucopia, right? You, every day you're studying with people who um, you know are going to fight behind enemy lines, either metaphorically or literally. And then, um, and then also you really get your passion. And so um, after I left there, I went to D.C. and worked in Homeland Security um, for three and a half years. And so I'll just touch on a few things there and then I'll take a breath and let you kind of push back. Yeah, please so do. Yeah. When, when I was in Homeland Security, uh, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security has uh, basically had a think tank at the time. It was a nonprofit, but it was, it was a DHS.gov, if you will, type of organization mm -hmm. It's called the Homeland Security Institute. And, um, and so I was an analyst there. And um, I did everything from the super exciting to the mundane. Mm -hmm. So I worked on counterterrorism issues. I worked on domestic threat assessments. I worked on border patrol issues, Coast Guard issues, all the way down to bureaucratic things. Mm -hmm. um, and so being there before I moved to Knoxville really was um, fantastic because I got a chance to get published there um, in counterterrorism issues. I got a chance to really immerse myself into a lot of the details. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, yeah, so I would say professionally, those were, those were the building blocks, if you will, of, of what's underneath the missionary, so to speak, 10 years on and off in DC. Mm -hmm. And then obviously we've been in Knoxville for nine years. And so 
Uh, I worked at TVA for nine years and so did a lot of writing there in a business capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, so yeah, so that, that's really the professional background, if you will, that's underneath both my writing, but as well as just me as a person. And so my wife's mm-hmm. name is Caitlin. We've been married 17 years. Uh, awesome. we have four kids, uh, Carter 16. He goes by jumbo at F3. We have Emma who's 14, Asher who's uh, 10 and Camille's eight. Man. So that's us. Man, that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. For, for, for sharing that. Um, yeah. Wow. I, I had no idea about that, that extensive part of your history and, um, and, and especially with counterterrorism and, and, and kind of being part of that silent professional in the shadows community, um, that I, I would fairly say the general public probably doesn't know a lot of, or, or, uh, have exposure to a lot of, but, um, I'm sure you learned a lot of lessons and, and there were a lot of takeaways, even, you know, when you were moving your family to Knoxville, but, um, as you were going back and getting your master's and, and, and kind of having your hands in, in these communities, um, that, that are all rooted in public service and counterterrorism, um, you know, with, with, uh, your wife. So you and Caitlin are married and, and Carter's on the way or, or, or here as well. Um, were there any just big takeaways as you were extending your professional portfolio, but you're also trying to, to start a family as well and, and, and kind of leading up to the Knoxville move? Um, how did that go on both sides of the spectrum? Yeah. So, you know, interestingly enough, um, DC is a town really designed. Let's, if you're married to have two six figure incomes, if you're not at least one. And mm-hmm. so, um, as a public servant, um, as a 25 year old, even my second tour there, um, you know, pushing 30, mm-hmm. you know, I was not making a lot of money. And so you really have to be bought into the profession of public service, mm-hmm. um, because you're not making a ton of money. Um, you're working your can off. Um, but I have to tell you, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world because if you fast forward to 2020, um, we live in a world where um, people that work for the government are portrayed as villains. And um, that was not my experience. Um, Mm -hmm. I worked with a lot of fine people who really were dedicated to uh, the United States and its security Mm -hmm. and trying to do a good job. And at the end of the day, trying to take the subway or the metro or the bus home and be with their friends, their loved ones, their family, their wife, their kids, their husband, whoever, whatever their state in life was. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, number one was really you have to be bought into public service because it is really this kind of greater good uh, almost syndrome, if you will, in that um, <laughs> on occasion as you're struggling to pay your bills, you have to step back and go, OK, wait, we're here on purpose. Mm-hmm. We, we wanted to be here. And so uh, furthermore, as you're, if you are picking out a spouse, and in my case, uh, I was in the process of dating and getting engaged and getting married. Uh, for me, I mean, my fiance and wife had to really be on board with that because, um, I mean, she wasn't marrying a guy that was loaded. And so family dynamics became really important. I mean, <laughs> communicating about the relationship became very important because if she was looking for a guy who was going to go work, you know, on Wall Street or a guy who's going to own a business, uh, 
not that that would never happen, but for that time, it was gonna was not gonna happen. And so, number one was you really have to be bought in on public service. Sure. Um, number two is, I really recommend that people try to find a passion in what they do mm-hmm. for a living. Not everybody gets to do it, and there's these overlapping Venn diagrams of life, if you will. And so, there's sometimes your circle of your passion and the circle of your vocation actually overlay, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes they don't and you just have to make money and pay your bills. But I at least recommend people try to find their passion and it could take you five or 10 years or 15 years. Um, I mean, you don't don't just, I don't think it just hits you like an apple falling out of a tree one day. Mm -hmm. But I think if you're not pursuing some level of passion, I think you just go to work every day, right? You punch the clock and you come home. I don't know that that's wrong, but it seems like there would be these long gaps of your career, if you will, or your life where you just were mailing it in. Mm -hmm. And to me, that feels so, um, I can't imagine doing that. Now I have done it for periods of my life, but as far as, I guess I'm saying early when you, when you come out of college, you really only come out of college once, right? Mm -hmm. Hypothetically. (laughs) And to really propel that, or even if you're coming out of your graduate program, or even if you've gotten an associate's degree and you're getting a mentor, you know, an apprenticeship, whatever the case is, some level of propelling and defining your passion. So Mm -hmm. I I highly recommend people try to look for it and, and it doesn't have to be their job, but at least looking for it because eventually I figured out for me, I was passionate about national security and I was passionate about writing Mm -hmm. and they didn't always overlap. So when I wrote, I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't doing that for a living. Like I was working in the national security world and obviously I was working my tail off. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't writing per se. And I was getting published as, for the government, but I wasn't writing for fun. And then now I'm writing as a passion, but I'm not working in national security. But there was this underlying theme of, I knew what I loved. And so I highly recommend people. And listen, that could be um, dentistry. That could be um, building homes. Uh, yeah. It could be a ministry, right? Mm-hmm. It could just be a hundred different things. But like, what makes you tick? And how can you find a way to do that? So yeah. those, those are a couple things. And finding that fulfillment, I think, is is what I hear too. You know, you can p- p- punch in a clock. I mean, that you know, the Monday through Friday, nine to five, that's all good and well. The bills have to be paid, but I think what you're hitting on is is when you find that sweet spot of of maybe tapping into those gifts that you were born with, and um, and and tapping into a little bit of hey, maybe I'm created to to do this and maybe I'm supposed to do this and, and find fulfillment in it. I think there, there is a, a pretty good sweet spot um, where you can do both really well. Um, and they might not overlap as well, you know? Um, That's right. And, and, and you may find, Hey, I'm, I'm passionate about coaching baseball. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you know, um, the Braves are not looking for a new manager. <laughs> so uh, I can, I can volunteer my time for KYS. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that that's a route, right? That's, that's doing something that you love. And so my, to me, what's the most uh, regrettable is when I see people just stumbling their way through life. Mm. And, you know, I know we're going to get to this later, but that's really a sweet spot for F3 as mm-hmm. well, right? Like, don't stumble your way through life, right? Don't be a sad clown. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, so really trying to find your passion and pursue it. I, I was fortunate enough that I had, you know, I'm so grateful that I, accepted the position at the Department of Education and got these experiences because uh, I was able to interact with some folks that really kind of, you know, lit the fire. And then my time at the Bush School, I could never replace. I mean, my colleagues there, 
Um, and listen, I don't want to paint the wrong picture. I, I, you know, I, I was not Jason Bourne or anything. <laughs> um, I, I had some fantastic colleagues who actually do do that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, but I mean, when you get to interact with people who are passionate about similar things, in our case, we were getting master's mm-hmm. degrees. Uh, it's, you know, the literature calls it flow, right? You, you feel like you're in your groove and you know, yeah. it. you go every day and you go, this is, this is where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And again, doesn't la- last your whole life, but man, when you find it, you know it. Oh yeah. Well, and what, what I hear through you telling your story is, is the, the stage is being set for you to go back and get your master's. The, the stage was being set for you to move your family to Knoxville. You know, the, the stage was being set uh, for you to find F3 and, 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 and be a, a man of impacts to, to write the missionary and in your other works as well. And, and I think God has a, has a funny way of, of doing that, of setting that stage, um, even before the lights come on, you know? Um, Absolutely. Just like you were, um, we're going to the department, to the department of education. Um, you know, that, that probably was not your, your man, I'm created for this 150%, you know, but the stage was being set, um, and, and things were working in the background so that you could meet Caitlin, right. And so that you could move to Knoxville, you know, and, and I think sometimes we neglect the, the process versus the end product. Um, and I think you spoke about that very Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's a balance between, on one hand, uh, you know, there was a, a show on when I was a kid on Nickelodeon. I don't remember the name of it, but basically it was like a, um, it was like American Ninja Warrior, but back in the 80s. <laughs> and um, you went through this obstacle course. And at the very end, um, if you chose the wrong door, somebody beat you up with a pugil. <laughs> I, I don't think life is like that, sure. right? Um, you know, the Lord can bless you any, any path you're mm-hmm. on. But at some level, you look back and you go, man. Yeah, the, the stage was definitely being set, yeah. and, and I'm so I'm so grateful for it. You know, I'm so I'm so grateful that job um, working for the Department of, of the Army in Germany. I'm so grateful they rejected mm. me um, because um, that rejection led to to better things. And I had I had rejections uh, for positions that I wanted in the intelligence community that were uh, just a kick in the gut at the time. Mm. But I'm so grateful it happened because it, it led to to bigger, I don't want to say bigger and better things. That's not fair, but it led to where I am today, which I'm extremely grateful. For. Yes. Yeah. Which, which, uh, when you think about it was, was, you know, probably the plan all along. And, um, Absolutely. and, and that is a very Absolutely. humbling fact. And, um, so yeah, so let's, uh, let's talk about you're in Knoxville. Now your, your family's in Knoxville. Um, you are, are working for the TVA. Um, let's dive into the missionary, which is is quickly becoming one of my my favorite page turners um, as as I've been reading it this week. And and tell me a little bit about that because I I'm excited to continue reading it and finish reading it. And I know you are excited to um, to have it published. And I would just love to hear your heart for for that. Sure, thank you. And I you know if you um, talk to any author, they're shameless acceptors of compliments about the writing. So. <laughs> Uh, you know, all, all, all flattery uh, and nonsense is accepted. Um, so we moved to Knoxville in 2011. Our kids are young. I start working at TVA, which is a fantastic place with a good mission. Um, I, I, people have no idea how many things TVA does here in the area. Not only our public, you know, our electric power that's you know funded by rates and, and they don't accept federal funds. Um, you know, we always get 
beat up for accepting federal funds, which they haven't in 20 or 30 years. Not only do they keep the lights on, which is fantastic, but uh, they take care of the lakes and rivers. And as someone who spends an, an exceptional amount of time on the water, uh, I'm grateful for that. And so we get here, work at TVA, and um, I work my way through um, my professional crew here. And so I was the director, uh, it's called Operational Assurance. It was TVA's internal audit function uh, for four years. And so um, I am either writing, approving, editing, publishing, professional writing, if you will, in the business environment for, for years. And so if you said, what do you do functionally? I would say, well, I, I'm an editor, I'm an approver, I teach adults how to write well. And so I'd always kind of written for a living, if you will, but obviously never between the covers of a, a book. And so um, in 2019, and just a side note, kind of a kind of a motif, if you will, to run through my life. I'm an avid reader, and um, I my library at home is something that I'm extremely proud of. And I I never, if my kids want books, I never ask them how much they are. I never give them specific caps or allowances on books. If they want to go to a bookstore and get a book, it's open season. Period. And so my dad, my dad was a big reader. My father-in-law was a big reader. And so I, I'm an avid mm -hmm. reader. And so um, there's two things that are that you would see that I'm actually looking on my desk right now. There's there are books and there is a journal. And so um, I've been journaling and hang in there. There's a point to this, uh, unless you think I'm just off heading down my field. So I, I've been an avid journaler for. I started actually, interestingly enough. I cracked open the first page of my first journal um, on the train to DC for my White House internship. I still have it on a shelf. Um, and so one of my favorite books by David McCullough was John Adams and John Adams was a big, uh, he, he did a lot of journaling as did Thomas Jefferson. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I was reading that at the time, I believe. And so I started journaling and so hang in there with me. So, so I have stacks of journals from the past 20 mm -hmm. years. Wow. And um, stacks of books. And so one thing that I don't want to say I've always wanted to do it. I don't want to say this like, Hey, well, since the time I was a kid, I wanted to do this, but I would say for the past decade or two, I've wanted to write a book. Um, and I didn't for a hundred different reasons. Um, it's too difficult. It's too long. Can't make money, which by the way, are all fair. <laughs> um, but in 2019, as I'm sitting down with my journal for the year and I sketch out what are my goals for the year, you know, spiritually, for my family, uh, professionally, I have these three categories of goals. And I sketch them out for the year and I try to get fairly operational so that I can look at them at different points in the year and then look at them on New Year's Eve and go, okay, did I do what I want to do? And so, you know, I give credit to John Adams and I give credit to Greg McEwen, who wrote the book Essentialism who has kept my fire lit about journaling over the, over the awesome. decades. And so in, two, in 2019, on January 1, as I was looking at the year, I thought, you know what, I'm tired of being the guy who just talks about stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I, need, I want to write a book this year. I knew I wanted to do it in fiction. Um, and so my, my goal for the year was to do a first draft of a manuscript for 2019. And so I didn't know what that looked like, didn't know what it meant. And so um, I actually finished the first draft really in August, September of gotcha. last year. Um, and, um, and you know, it's kind of like when the dog catches the car, what do you do? I, I finished the first draft and I was so excited. I had family members read it and I was giddy and I, 
frankly didn't know how to proceed. It's like, okay, what do I do with this? And so um, I was fortunate enough, Captain Crunch, Ted okay. Anselet, uh, connected me with uh, a very popular New York Times bestselling author. And I don't mention his name because the advice he gave me, I don't think would be uh, thought well of by a publisher, but um, it connected me with this mm -hmm. author here in town. And, um, and he basically gave me the courage and some insights to mm -hmm. self-publish. And so um, the manuscript for the missionary sat there idle for a few months. And then I began the, uh, I got a professional editor this year and began the process of editing, um, carving it up, feeding it, you know, feedback, mm -hmm. et cetera. But I spent last year, 2019, my writing process was every night, Monday through Thursday mm -hmm. night, I would get in bed after the kids um, were in bed, after my wife was asleep, I would get in bed, have my laptop on my bed stand, and I would write a thousand words a night, a Monday wow. through Thursday night. And I did that for eight, did that for eight months. And at first you're kind of stumbling your way around. You have no mm -hmm. idea what you're doing. But then once I wrote, uh, read Stephen King's book, that's the title mm -hmm. is on writing. Uh, that was like my aha moment. I, and, and I read the second, the second section, which is how he teaches people to write. I read that mm -hmm. two or three times, uh, just carved up, marked it up. And so then I realized, oh, you have to get into the story. And so I began to, you know, for that phase in my life, uh, one of, you know, my son Asher was uh, newly exploding onto the autism spectrum and, um, and we didn't know what we were doing. And so at the end of the day, it was such a sweet time to open my laptop, put my headphones on and have a couple composers mm -hmm. that I always listen to Hans Zimmer and, Ram and Ramin Shawadi. Oh, yeah. Um, and I would put my headphones on and disappear into mm -hmm. this world. And it was like my own world and nobody bothered me and it wasn't stressful. And that's where the characters all came alive to the mm -hmm. missionary. And so, um, and so it was a blast. And so I, I knew that, um, I knew I wanted to, you know, I, I knew I wanted to yeah. take this to its finish. And so, uh, basically I finished it. I took a, just a brief detour. So when, when COVID exploded onto the scene, if you will, to use that metaphor again, I decided it concerned me how much time my kids and their friends were spending mm -hmm. on their phones because they're, they're at home, they're doing their school at the time. Knox County was kind of, I mean, again, we didn't know what we were mm -hmm. doing. That's okay. And, and I hated how much time they spent on their devices. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to write some short form content that they can look at and read on their phones. And so I took a detour from the missionary and wrote the other virus and released that in a weekly, biweekly manner. And these episodes, um, it's a book now, the other virus, a novel. Um, but I took a break from the missionary to write that. And so then I came back on board with the missionary, um, probably, gosh, in the last, I don't know, three <laughs> months, if you will, and finished wow. out the missionary. And so anyway, um, it's been a blast. Um, it, all of the reasons that I didn't want to do it were all true. Um, I just needed to, um, this great book called willpower doesn't work. Um, and you have to pardon me. I'm constantly, uh, referencing and selling books, uh, but they've yeah. just been impactful. And so, um, I just realized I just need to do it. And so, so I've released it recently. And so, uh, awesome. yeah, I'll take, I'll take a breath there and, and then we can dive into the Man, plot if you want yes, to, whatever please, you want. Yes. I would love that. Man. Um, yeah. Wow. I, um, I, I don't think people know how much goes into writing a book. I mean, from, 
from the creative process to, to actually filling the pages to, to publishing to editing. Um, I mean, that, that is not a short process by any means. Um, takes a lot of patience, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. And, 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 and so, um, what, what parts of, of writing the missionary and also the other virus, I, you know, I, um, I'd love to, to hear a little bit about that as well. Um, what parts of your process were, were good and were like, man, I, I'm affirmed in this. I know I'm supposed to be doing this. This is awesome. Um, and what parts were maybe like, like, man, I'm like, it, is, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? And, and, and kind of those, those doubtful thoughts, which, which we all get, you know, and, and especially when yeah. writing a book, it's like, <laughs> yeah. this is a massive endeavor. And um, yeah, tell me a little bit about that process um, and, and also how it affected, I guess, your, your kids. Cause I, I think that's really cool that, that, that you wrote this, this shorter book within writing the missionary of, of the context of um, wanting to care for your kids. Well, right. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Those are excellent questions. So the parts I was talking to my mother the other day and I said, writing the first draft manuscript of a book is a blast. Like the first draft is, you know, what my editor Sue Strecker calls the Mm. kitchen sink version, right? You just, you throw it all out there. So my first draft of the missionary was 87,000 words and nothing's off, Mm. you know, out of bounds, right? You just throw it all out there. Your creative juices are flowing. It's like, man, this is good stuff. Uh, the, the second step, which I had experience in, but it's still difficult, is the feedback process. So writing is really mm-hmm. deleting mm-hmm. and editing and carving. And, and I forget one author called it killing your darlings, if you will. And so my experience in Homeland Security, because we had professional editors who had no problem using four-letter words in the <laughs> editing comments. I mean, I'd get these comments, these track changes, and be like, what the bleep is this? You know, it doesn't bleeping make sense. Oh, and you're like... Okay. Okay, so if I heard you correctly, you don't like that sentence. And so I had that in my background. So I had pretty thick skin. Um, and so when my editor sent me my first draft with comments, she also sent a 20-page cover letter with its wow. deficiencies. And, uh, yeah, I mean, your, your initial instinct is – what if I just deleted her name and act like I never knew her, <laughs> sure. right? Um, like, what if, what, if we should, <laughs> what if we just went to somebody else that gave us, you know, the answers mm. we want to hear and told us how amazing we told yeah. us how amazing we were? But I had the experience in the thick skin, and so you mm-hmm. just have to lean into it. And so I would say even that part was good. And so it went from eighty-seven thousand words, and currently between those pages is about seventy-two thousand. Awesome. Wow! And so I deleted about fifteen thousand words. Um, that's a that's a about 75 wow. pages of content that, That's a lot. that were deleted. And so you do a lot of cutting. And I mean, down to, I mean, I probably did seven to 10 revisions mm-hmm. of the manuscript. And I mean, you go down where you're a word here, a word there, an adverb here, you know. So, so, so that part was affirming because when you're editing and mm-hmm. cutting and deleting, and you get those pros and you get that paragraph. It feels good. Like, oh yeah. That's, this how, is I wanted, that's how I wanted it to yeah. sound. So that felt good. Now the, the, the tough part where I really got self doubt was when you get into the publishing process, we live in this incredible democratized world of social media where there's experts oh, yeah. on everything. Right. And so when you say, well, you can self publish or you get a publisher, right? You got these two, you got this fork in the road. And for me, I decided, well, 
I could send 20 letters and pitches to publishers and get rejected and invest this energy. Or I could spend all that energy on self-publishing, sell a bunch of copies, and then it'd be self-evident. And then if I want to do the publishing route, great. If not, mm-hmm. hey, it's making money. So in the self, so when you take that fork in the road, you take the self-publishing route. It, there are 10 million mm-hmm. ways to do it. And so the self-doubt comes in when you, you're constantly going, man, am mm-hmm. I doing this right? The answer is typically (laughs) no. Sure, but you're learning as you go. Um, But but you're learning and you're stumbling and Mm -hmm. you're stumping your toe. And it's kind of like when you walk through your house at Mm -hmm. night, you know, and and you kick the ottoman (laughs) in the living room. And it's like, man, how how did I not Mm -hmm. know that was there? But, you know, you move on, right? You keep going and you, you, you know, you stumble your way in the kitchen, you get that glass of milk or whatever. So, so in writing, I would say the publishing, the self publishing process on, you have this manuscript in your hands. What in the mm-hmm. world do I do with this? And so getting your editor, uh, getting a cover designer, I have a fantastic cover designer, um, getting your, my formatter who's fantastic. Uh, and then, and then, then there's some really judgmental decisions where you go. So for example, typos mm-hmm. in most big box publisher books right now at Barnes and Noble, I would say you'll find one to two typos per manuscript wow. that's on the shelf. So I'm going, okay, how many times mm-hmm. is enough? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. <laughs> when is, when is it ready to go to print? Because when you self publish, you got a little bit more insecurity, mm-hmm. right? So you're going, when is it enough? And at some point it's just like, you know what, I've got to lean into this and fail fast. And so, um, anytime someone has sent me something, which frankly, unfortunately has not been much, um, I go, thanks for the feedback. I'll pull the manuscript down, change it, move on. And so you're always, you, you're always looking at an mm-hmm. updated manuscript, um, which is the cool thing about Kindle publishing yeah. through Amazon. Now you, you, you asked the question, how does this affect my family? So when you announce to your family or close friends that you're writing a book, <laughs> it's terrifying because they're like, this is great. And they start mm-hmm. asking you all these questions and then you kind of shrink back and go, what have I done? Like, I don't even know what Mm. I'm doing. And so I would say the thing that was the coolest part is I remember telling Carter Jumbo that I was writing a book and he immediately started asking me questions as if it was evident that it Mm. would be successful. Like his questions weren't about, would you think you can really do this? His first questions were, Oh, is it going to be a hardback or paperback? Oh, well, is it going to sell in Barnes? And he started asking me all these questions as if it was mm-hmm. going to be successful, yeah. which was intoxicating because I was like, oh, my gosh, yeah. they believe in me. And I had a night one night where I was really struggling with one of my characters. And I go get in bed with Asher. I'm tucking him in. He's, well, he's eight at the time. And he asked me a question about one of my characters. He goes, well, have you ever thought about so-and-so? I mean, maybe he's just – and, I mean, it mm-hmm. blew me away. And I had to run back and make notes in, in my in my note sketch to go, oh, my gosh, how did I not think of that? So the kids yeah. have been incredible. My wife, Caitlin, um, has literally been my number one fan throughout. Um, she never doubted me, mm. never wavered, which is which is incredible because I don't know, you know, she either loved me a lot or didn't know <laughs> what she was talking about. But she's always been always, always thought it was going to mm-hmm. be successful. And so I would say when you do something after your family goes to bed. It doesn't really affect them. It just affects your sleep patterns. And so, um, 
you just kind of have to yeah. buck up and <laughs> work harder. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, well, what'd your family think about you being gone? Now, when I came to the publishing process, what they had to endure was lots of conversations, me asking questions that they mm. didn't have answers to. And so lots of dinnertime questions and conversations where they smiled and nodded <laughs> and were like, uh-huh, yeah, yep, sure, dad, thanks, yeah. So so very yeah. gracious listeners. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, yeah, man, I, I think there are two really important things that – that you kind of uh, dug out and, and fleshed out in that. Um, one, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about both of these when we kind of talk about F3 and, and your experience with F3, but one was um, the importance that, that there are people that are for you and that are in your corner, you know, and, and that should be your family. And, and that's mm. probably not always the case. Um, you know, um, each, each family is going to be different, but um, I love that that you can point back and, and and have these moments of you know your family's in your corner and that you know we we should be for each other. Um, I I think that's incredibly important. Um, and then and then two something that that you mentioned um, was when you sent that initial draft to your editor um, and and you said you know why don't we go to people that that would just tell us the right answer, tell us what we want to hear, you know, um, and and. Yeah, that's great, and but that's not going to help us grow. That's not going to help us progress. That's not going to help us develop it into kind of who we're called to be. Um, and I thought that was that was really good. That when you got that twenty-page um, cover letter of like, hey, maybe this is not what I want to hear, but it's what I need to hear, right? Um, I thought that was really cool that you said that, and th and that's part of the process too. You know. Right? Absolutely. There was a, a, a book I read called Thanks for the Feedback. And um, it's got like these pencil sketches on the front cover. And um, it was life changing because we don't mm. want to hear feedback. I mean, personally, spiritually, professionally. But if you weren't getting feedback, like, yeah. how would you get better? And so iron sharpens iron, right? This is F3. This is our motto, right? Iron sharpening iron. Like, how would mm -hmm. we get better? And so if, I, you know, I leave my first workout and I do a cue and, and I'm not doing something well. If someone didn't tell me, Hey, just by the way, you know, mm -hmm. consistency is key or Hey, by the way, keep mm -hmm. it simple. Oh man. Well, thank you. Thanks for the feedback. And so thanks for the feedback really, um, changed the way I think. And then I had a boss at TVA, Dwayne Lanier, who was a feedback King. And over the course mm -hmm. of four years, I, I went from hating it to loving it. And so the feedback, I just don't know how people get better and improve um, spiritually, professionally, personally without getting feedback. And there's a right and a wrong way yeah. to do it. Okay. So I don't mean we have to be jerks to each other at F3 or in our churches mm -hmm. or in our jobs. Sure. There's a right and wrong way to do it, but, um, yeah, but that's good. And then, and then, yeah, I mean, um, it's, you know, having people that are for you, my brothers, I have four brothers, uh, Reed, Reagan, Riley, and Reese. And um, their wives, Sophia, Katie, Katie, um, and Natalie, they they have been just incredibly gracious and supportive. And then mm. my parents uh, and then my in-laws, uh, they're all in the acknowledgments. And it, they're not just trite words. Yeah. They're not just throwaway yeah. statements. Like my parents and my in-laws and my brothers and their wives, like they truly are fans. And mm. man, you need that energy. And, and you may not be writing a book. You may be, um, mm. you may be starting a mm -hmm. business, you know, or you may be... Um, starting a ministry or you could be uh you know redesigning your home you need people 
yeah. that support you and that give you that taste. Of, mm. Man, I can really do this. Because so many times, you know, we just um, oh, we yeah. beat ourselves up. Gosh. I mean, would it be fair to say that um, maybe the harshest editor that you come in contact with in your writing has been yourself? Or maybe the most honest editor, I guess. Um, yeah, so, you know, I had two, I've had two fantastic editors, Sue Struckers, mm -hmm. who's my current editor. I had one uh, named Kim Corthell in the Homeland Security. And she, I knew, I knew she supported me. I knew when she roughed me up, mm -hmm. she it was mm -hmm. for my own benefit. But yeah, when I read my own stuff, uh, I used to hear actors say they watch their own shows. <laughs> and I think that's kind of weird. Right. When you want to see yeah. yourself do it. Um, I, once it went into pub, like once it's in hardcover, I don't read my books, mm -hmm. which is very difficult because if I read it a hundred times, I would delete mm -hmm. things a hundred times. I mean, writing, yeah. writing is deleting. And so, uh, yeah, it's painful to see your own stuff because you're always thinking, man, I could have just turned that phrase a little better. And I, you know, I, that would have been a great complex sentence right there. Man, why did yeah. I, you know, anyway, so yes, it's, it's easy yeah. to rough yourself well, up. I want you to know that I now have a full list of books I am planning to read just from our conversation. So thank you. For, oh, good. For that as well. Listen, I, I know I always caveat and tell people, hey, I know I'm constantly, you know, recommending mm -hmm. books. My brother Riley and I, uh, we kind of genuine kind of, uh, well, not kind of, we compete, if mm -hmm. you will, in a good, good natured way on, on how many books we, we read each year. And so I love hearing about new books. I uh, like giving new books. And so, yeah, I have a book list that I just recommend. And um, in fact, yeah, I could send it to you if you want. Uh, I just have a list of those books. It's like, man, people have told me about them. And I, I can't imagine if I didn't read, thanks to the feedback, if I didn't read Willpower Doesn't Work, if I didn't read Mindset, you know, if I didn't read Jack Carr's fiction novels, if I didn't read Vince Flynn's novels. It's like, I, I'd be a different mm -hmm. person if I didn't read those. Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, you think about... Um... And one other thing I'd, I want to go back and revisit, um, that you have journals from 20 years. Um, one, that's really cool that, that you keep a record of that. Um, and I say that because I was looking back at a journal of mine from three years ago um, and even kind of coming out of college and, and doing the fellows and, um, and that transition process and thinking about um, and thinking and looking back about what you wrote then and kind of where you were then and and, you know, I, I, was, I was sitting back and, and, and reading this journal from three years ago thinking about like, man, I was in this place three years ago and, and look how faithful the Lord has been. And it's just really cool to see where you were, yeah. kind of what your thoughts were from years past. And, and I'm sure you've done that too. And um, especially from that first journal that, that you wrote kind of going into DC, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's kind of been a, a life-giving reflection kind of looking back as well. I can't imagine what I can't mm. imagine not journaling. Like I can't imagine not having a manuscript documentation right. of my life right. and my thoughts. And I don't mean from a, an egotistical thing. I mean, it's so important. And by the way, you know, it's not like I've done it every day for 20 years or every sure, year. Sure. I have year gaps. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have plenty of gaps, but it's just like off and on for 20 years. And so, you know, and, I, I think everybody should do it their own way. Like, I think a lot of people think journaling is like, dear diary, I'm so yeah. sad. And so I mean, yeah, it could be true. that, right? No, I mean, it could be. I mean, but it's also like, what do mm. you want to capture? Like, what do you want to, 
what do you want to look up on December 31st or whenever you do this of 2020 and go, these are things I need to look at. So I capture data. Mm -hmm. I capture information. I have stuff about some of my kids' medicines. I have, um, listen, I go back and read stuff. I would say I reference my journals Mm. often because I need to see things. And so it's like, I hate, I hate, I hate telling stories based on gut feels. And so I like to go back and go, no, I did this three years ago. I know it feels Mm. like 10, but it was three. And so, um, yeah. And like, what do you want to see? And so whether that's dear diary type of stuff or whether they're prayer requests or whether it's Mm -hmm. uh, scripture or whether it's professional goals, I mean, it could be anything workout stuff. It just, whatever, whatever, you know, meets your fancy capturing that and being able to go back and look at it. I I just can't imagine not having that document. I I mean, I, I have, have done exactly what you just said. You know, I've, I've written professional goals in, in, in my journals. I mean, even dating back all the way to, to college, um, written prayer requests, you know, I've, I've, yeah. um, yeah. I've, uh, written, I mean, I've, I've screamed on pages, you know, and in, in my journals and, and written. Yeah. And isn't it great when you go back and you see, man, you know, eight years ago, uh, I was terrified about this yes. uh, sickness or illness, or I had a tumor yes. cut out in 2006. And, you know, I've, I've had different things in my life and, you know, the Lord was gracious to me and um, mm-hmm. I made it. I'm fine. Right. Like, so it's like, it's nice to go back and see not only answered prayers, but also like mindsets. And um, yeah, it's very, it's very life giving to go, Oh man, I remember mm. when my car was dead and I thought, yeah. I, I, you know, and it's like, Oh, okay. Well, we can figure <laughs> right. it out. We made yeah, it. exactly. Um, oh man. Well, Hey, I, I am uh, going through your, your book here. And um, before we move on to the F3, what I'd like to do is if you don't mind, I'll, I'll read one of my favorite things I, I have read so far in your book. And then um, if, okay. if, if you have maybe a, a favorite chapter or, or, or something that, that has really stuck out at you that, that you wrote from your book, um, if if, if you want to share, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'd, I'd love to hear that from you too. But yeah. um, so even even just starting the missionary, love it, big fan, um, and, and I'm glad I I got this when I did. Um, one thing that I've I've read so far that it kind of s- just really stuck out at me um, was on page five and um, about halfway down, um, it goes something like this: "What happens next?" He blurted to no one in particular. Randy said, we wait, we listen, we don't say a word. Um, and, and as I was reading that, I, I really enjoyed reading that because that took me back to a place of remembering of we are very much active in this book. Um, at least I, I see myself active in this book and, and can relate to, to my life for the past year has been what happens next um, blurting to no one in particular. Um, and then I, I, I think we get these people, the, these wise people, um, that, that God sends in our life that, that just says, Hey, we're going to wait, we're going to listen. And we don't say a word. And to me, what, what I got out of that and, and the reason that was so formational for me was, um, was, yeah, um, we are, are in this process of kind of what happens next, whether with, you're thinking about the coronavirus or the election or whatever it may be, whatever sphere of influence in life you find yourself in, we're all going to find ourselves in a place where we are going to say what happens next, maybe to our, our wife, maybe to our, our kids, our coworkers, maybe to no one in particular. Um, 
And I think that we wait, we listen, we don't say a word, um, struck a chord in me specifically um, because we all have a Randy in our lives, right? That, that That's going to encourage us and say, mm. we wait, the Lord's going to be good. We listen, the Lord's going to be good. We don't say a word because he's going to give us words to say. And I just pulled that out of there. And that's been one of my favorite things I've read, which I know is, is just a very small part of this book so far. But I just wanted to thank you for that. Um, just getting into this, this book initially. So thank you. Well, listen, I mean, that's, so what I love about fiction is a couple of things. Um, yeah. it helps us escape mm-hmm. reality. Okay. Um, and so you go, it, first of all, scientifically, it uses a different part of your, of your mm-hmm. brain than, than cool. nonfiction, just for the record. So, so that's why you should have a balance of fiction, and nonfiction. So the mm-hmm. fiction uses the creative side of your brain. Um, and so it helps us escape reality. Number one, number two, it's a different thing for everyone. And so I love when, when I've had people call and say, and they'll describe a character and they'll go, is, is this what she looks like? And I, and I always say the same thing. I can't answer that question for you. Mm-hmm. I know what she looks like to me, but, but I can't, I can't fill that in for you because mm-hmm. that would totally ruin it for you. And so I've had people say, Hey, is this what you meant in this section? I'm like, well, um, it doesn't matter mm. what I meant for that mm-hmm. section, right? Like the matter yeah. is how you enjoyed it. And so, so what I love is he- hearing different people's takes and that's mm-hmm. all formed by our worldviews, uh, which is cool. Um, so one section, uh, so thank you for sharing that. I mean, again, I, yeah. I, I didn't expect you to say that section. So that's, it's really cool. One section, there's a number of things that I enjoyed about the book, yeah, no spoilers. Anything, but I would say one, one motif, if you will, um, that was fun to tease out was um, Randy's mm. relationship mm-hmm. with Nassim. Okay. And I, I won't say anything too much because I don't want to give any away, but Nassim's one of the terrorists um, who, who keeps him mm-hmm. hostage. Okay. We'll just, we'll just leave it at that. And so, um, and so he and Nassim are having this moment and um, Nassim asks, basically asks him if, if Randy will teach him English. Um, and, and he says, of course, I'll, it's on 134. Of course, uh, I'll teach you English. And the same grinned and put his scarred hand over his heart and said, thank you, sir. And Randy was like, sir, you just call me, sir. I didn't res- mm-hmm. expect that level of respect. And so he begins to form this relationship with one of his captors and it's mm-hmm. not really Stockholm syndrome, right? The Stockholm syndrome was like, hey, you get taken captive. Mm-hmm. After a while, you connect with them, which is how you get people that are taken yeah. hostage, and then they defend them. It's not really that. It's, it's really this um, – we have pictures painted in our mind of, of what the others mm-hmm. are like. We have these others in our lives. And so it could be Democrats and Republicans. It could mm-hmm. be Trump-Biden voters. Um, it could be uh, liberals or conservatives. And we have these others in our lives. And we have them uh, demonized is what we think they are. And so there's this multifaceted relationship he has with his captors. It doesn't make them mm-hmm. less bad people. And it doesn't make them ter- not terrorists, right? They are. And they are bad people. But it shows them in these four-dimensional aspects to where mm-hmm. they all have human sides and this captain Nassim wanted to learn English and thanked him for that. And they, mm. there's this little connection of humanity. And so he forms some human connections with his captors. And I won't say any more than that, 
And it's not because they're great people and he's, he's a bad, it, it's not one dimensional. It's like everybody mm. has a sliver of humanity in them. And so right now, as we're going through coming off of this really divisive election, um, the people that you think are quote unquote, the craziest, mm -hmm. the worst, I mean, insert your adjective, they're probably sitting at home eating dinner, mm -hmm. really nervous mm -hmm. about the country. Yeah. Um, in their own aspect. And so, um, you know, this, this book, uh, and I'm just going to throw out some teasers, there's civil unrest. There are elections mm -hmm. that are tricky. There are, um, there's a Hispanic female who's a CIA um, officer. There's uh, an African-American female mm -hmm. who's an intelligence operative. And people go, oh, so you're, you're trying to be inclusive because we're in 2020. I'm like, no, mm -hmm. I wrote this 18 months ago. They're in there because they're fantastic characters. And it's what America yeah. and my experiences yeah. look like. So while Knoxville's a little bit more homogenous, I mean, my friends in D.C. were black and Indian and Christian and Jewish and like all, all these rant, mm -hmm. like this, all these people groups. Right. And so um I hope it reflects life. Um, and I hate there's inclusivity as a tagline, which is, is insulting to me. And mm -hmm. then there's humanity in inclusivity. And so I think you'll see in the national security thriller world, there are very few minority mm -hmm. operatives. It's just not the way it works. They're mostly most national security mm -hmm. thrillers are written by white males and they're uh, have white male leads. And so, I decided that if anybody was going to mm, shake things yeah. up, why not be me? And so I hope you'll find these characters that are experiencing someone's humanity mm, that they didn't yeah. expect to. So those, that's kind of oh, one of my good. favorite parts of the book. Oh, that's good. It's kind yeah. of a narrative. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that too. I'm, I'm excited to read too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for asking. And um, I think that's, that's probably a, a really good segue into F3 um, because the first thing I thought of, of when you were just speaking about that of, um, if, if you've read the Q source, um, or for our F3 guys that are listening, um, if, if you have a copy of the Q source, if not, I will get you one. Um, it talks about leadership is disruptive. And, and so the question you asked of like, Hey, why not me? Right. I mean, come on. Um, someone has to do it. So, so the Q source talks about leadership being disruptive and, and that could be disruptive in, in, in so many different forms, but disruptive for the betterment and growth and development of not only you as, as the author, but for people around you as well. So I really like that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, which, which brings us to F3, man, as, as the, Come on. as the, uh, the founder of area 51 and not only the asylum AM, but the asylum PM, I mean, that's, that's two <laughs> um, tell us about F3 and, and crawdad and just, um, maybe a little bit of the history of Area 51. Big fan, big fan. So, yeah. Come on. I love it. Yeah, so so five years ago, uh, a little bit more than five years ago, Ted Anselet, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Captain Crunch, um, began to reach out and contact some guys and say, hey, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm starting this workout group, okay? And frankly, I wasn't interested. Um, I felt like I was in pretty good shape. I did 5Ks and half marathons mm -hmm. and sprint triathlons, and I just felt like I was in pretty good shape. And, and so 
day one, uh, I didn't go. And I kind of felt guilty. <laughs> this is the launch, talk right? Up a lot. And so um, okay. this is the launch. And so I think my first day was in mm-hmm. week two or three. And of course it's at five 30 in the morning. So, so finally <laughs> I told my wife, I was like, Hey, I gotta go. I gotta, I gotta like punch this yeah. ticket and like show Ted that I went. So I go and, uh, I was <laughs> just annoyed by it. Um, there's guys running around high fiving, calling each other nicknames. Um, and, and I just found it like hmm. repulsive. And, and so I go home and, and Oh, <laughs> by the way, I thought I was going to puke the whole time. Um, and so I go home and Caitlin says, Hey, what'd you think? And I was like, I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't like it. I'm not going to go back, but side note, I thought, you know, I was dry heaving the whole time. And so I have to make sure if I'm going to quit that I can actually do it mm-hmm. before I, I don't go back. It's so it's, it's not a position of weakness, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Just the ultimate male pride. And so I said, well, I'll, I'll go a couple of weeks and kind of kick this thing in the rear end and then just tell mm-hmm. Ted, Hey, <laughs> this isn't for me. Right. So, so I go and, um, I get named Crawdad. I'm from Louisiana, yeah, Louisiana go. boys. So I guess they named me Crawdad. And so in, in, in the first two weeks, I'll never forget one night I go to bed <laughs> and it's monsooning. And I mean, torrential downpour. So I wake up and I, I hear the rain and I'm so relieved. Like, oh, <laughs> it's going to be canceled. Yeah. This is great news. And I can hear my phone buzzing mm-hmm. and vibrating on the on, on my dresser. And I look at and look at it and guys are out there going, <laughs> Let's go. I and they're out in the rain. Oh, like, man. <laughs> so I put my shoes on. I go, I show up. We're laying, I'll never forget the the waves of cold water, you know, <laughs> of course running up your backside and just thinking, This is freaking miserable. And whoever was on cue was like, Come on, you only get wet yeah. once, you know, lay down. And yeah. it's just like these guys are nuts. And in some time in that first two weeks, I began to form a brotherhood with these guys to where then I was going to see them not to work out. And then my first Saturday, uh, Mr. Bean was there. He was one of the, one of the uh, kind of the originators. Mm-hmm. It was kind of, he was from North Carolina and you know, they would come over on the weekends during our trial period during the six week trial period. And I'll never forget. I showed up on my first Saturday and he, I think he's a British guy. And he goes, Hey, does nobody have Twitter? And, uh, and because he had tweeted out, hey, let's meet hmm. for, you know, for dinner or drinks or something. And, and nobody goes. He goes, well, let's start off. Oh, let's, you know, let's warm up 100 burpees. And we did 100 burpees to work <laughs> out. I was like, this guy is nuts. And yeah, I, so I wanted to like fight the guy, you know. And then by the end of it, though, I finished my first Saturday. And I was never the same person. Hmm. Um, and anybody, I, I've sold some people for years on F3. And they're like, no, it's not my thing. I'm like, I know, wasn't mine either. But what happens is mm. you form relationships with these guys and, you know, the whole concept of a sad clown, right? The, the American male, um, typically, you know, somebody says, mm-hmm. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great. I'm fine. Thank you. When mm. in reality, you could be dying inside. You could be sad. You could have just lost your job. Your mm-hmm. wife could have passed away all these things. And so you form relationships with these guys and then you do your first cue, um, and I think my first one was on a Saturday. <laughs> of course. I, I didn't sleep the night before. And then you do it and you're having a blast. And, you know, you see your first guy <laughs> splashing Merlot over on the side, which is obviously F3 talk for puking. And you're like, <laughs> this oh, a heck cue. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I figured something out. And, you know, like, you know, 50, 100 cues later, mm-hmm. you can't wait to do it. And so when I sell people, I'm constantly telling them, I didn't like <laughs> it either. I know it's ridiculous and I know yeah. you're going to love these guys. And so the sweetest part is when mm. you convert someone who is a hater and then you look up one day 
and they're queuing and they're yelling and screaming and, and, and saying all that, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it's like, we did it. So the consistency, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a man of routine. And so I love that we get there every day. We go through the routine, we do our workout, mm -hmm. you know, we obviously we yeah. have that time at the end of the bomb and where everybody stands around and you hear a, a, an inspirational word. Um, I love that it's faith based, mm -hmm. but it's not faith exclusive. And so while I'm an evangelical Christian, um, you know, and go to Presbyterian church, mm -hmm. that's not like that's a litmus test. And so, um, it's fantastic to see guys interacting. I think we've had a really motley crew of people. I think we've had uh, Muslim guys, Jewish guys, atheist guys. We've had a, a, a just a kind of a hodgepodge of humanity there. And I love that. And the, the friends that I've gotten to meet, including yourself, um, I'll just never be the same for. And so I constantly tell uh, Captain Crunch, who is um, referenced mm -hmm. in the book, and you'll see him in the acknowledgments, I felt like an obligation mm -hmm. in a good way. I had to mention him because he took yeah. the baton and started it here in Knoxville. And yeah, now we have yeah, 13, 13, 14, AOs, um, right? and some expansions. And, yeah. And, and so 13 or 14, that's right. Mm -hmm. and, and hundreds of guys active. And you see these guys and it's like, man, um, all these lives are changed in different ways. And that could be, you know, when you hear a person give his testimony mm -hmm. about, man, I lost a hundred pounds. I was dying. And now and you yeah. look at him, you go, gosh, you're stout. Or you hear a person saying, Hey, I was, I was lonely. I was miserable. I was in depression. I was on medication. Yeah. You go, man, <laughs> this is real stuff. And so, um, so as I looked at the book, I felt like mm -hmm. one of my characters had to be an F3 guy. I just felt like it, it was just, mm. it just had too much of an impact on my life. I've had too much fun. I've laughed too hard at F3. I've <laughs> almost passed out. I've just, I just have so many memories at F3. Um, I just felt like one of the characters had to be an F3 guy. And so you'll get to it in the story. It's, it's told from the perspective mm, of awesome. his wife, who is a progressive person, mm. not faith-based progressive person. And so her experience of having a husband who was an F3 guy, who mm -hmm. she hated the faith aspect of it, but she couldn't oh, argue with what good. a different person he was. And it just shook her to the core. So anyway, I, I'll just leave it at that. So um, yeah, I just felt like F3 had to be in the book. And so it is. It's a ton of fun. Um, and so uh, obviously Ted, Captain Crunch had to be in there. Uh, there's a hundred different guys that I would love to have represented. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just been a blast. And um, I can't say enough things about it. I think that's why so many guys mm -hmm. sell it and proselytize oh, yeah. it because they believe in it. It's one thing if you're selling a product or if you're paid to sell something. But when you believe oh, yeah. in it, you just have to talk about it. And so people are like, man, it, it sounds like a cult. I'm like, well, it's not. But I understand that mm -hmm. we do talk in terms and we do have nicknames and we do say stupid things and we do get happy about stupid stuff. So, yeah. So then there's the mm -hmm. naming, right? Mm -hmm. The different the different AOs. So we, we go to the one or I go to the one called the Asylum, which is Lakeshore Park uh, in Knoxville. And so for me, yeah. it's been a thrill to name somewhere, right? And so the different places you get to name. So Grinch's Hill you know, uh, area 51 field of dreams. Those are oh, places yeah. I got to name. And it's like, they live on, right. They live on in history. So when you do somebody else's queue and they're like, okay, we're headed to Grinch's Hill. You're like, yeah, I named that oh, Christmas awesome. Eve in, in 2016, you know? Um, so area 51 mm -hmm. is a personal mm -hmm. favorite because I love running Hills. And so that's just a grueling, almost straight up Hill. And, um, but it's fantastic yes. because it's got that concrete place at the bottom. So you can, as far as a workout's concerned, you can go down there, you can hit mm -hmm. your merkins, your push-ups, you can hit your crunches. 
You can hit your burpees. And then you attack this huge hill. And I would say it has reasonable topography in the sense of there are holes. You probably could snap your kneecap. But I don't think we've had anybody do it yet. And so we've kind of learned where the holes are. And then you get to the the top and there's this last Mm -hmm. big push up that hill onto the asphalt. And so you get to the top and you have more areas you can do workouts. So what a great place to spend your Saturday morning, you know, breathing your guts out, running up a big hill. And then you get to the top hill to the best sunrise in America um, where you overlook yes. the lake, Fort Loudon Lake and the mountains. And you right. think, man, I yeah. can't believe I get to work out here on Saturday. So I'm, I'm a junkie. Um, I know there's mm-hmm. other great AOs all across the country. But man, I, I challenge them to put theirs up against <laughs> hey, I, any day of the week. I think we do pretty well. I think the asylum, a, I mean, asylum in general, PMM, um, I mean, is without a doubt one of the best AOs. Uh, I mean, you got everything you need. You got you got playgrounds. You got streets. You got that. hills. Um, I mean, l- let's not forget cardiac and Everest. That's right. Gosh. Um, and now you have that nice coliseum. Oh. Good, good parking as well. And, and, good, exactly. and good parking. Yeah, parking is very key. Um, and, uh, you know, and the cafeteria is is less than five minutes away on Saturday mornings. You know, so uh, oh. one thing you touched, the reward. As, as the reward. Called. Yes. You know, you, you definitely have to earn your reward. However, I have been known, uh, I think, a total of two times to show up at the cafeteria without doing F3. Um, and I've come completely blame it on my alarm and as have I um (laughs) but uh yeah man um that is really cool um love the name crawdad and 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 also um the the first f so so that fitness um it's the magnet for a reason that's not why f3 exists but that's what sticks right um and then the the fellowship, as it's called in the Q source and 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 um, the free to lead book uh, by Greg OBT, um, is the glue. Um, you know, so that's what gets people coming back, right? Just like you said, that 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 fellowship. Um, maybe workouts are not your thing exactly, or at least maybe they're not your thing initially. Um, but then you start to realize, hey, I'm not just coming out here to do some Merkins. I'm not coming out here to do. Uh, two miles in 45 minutes or something, or I'm not coming out of here to do, you know, burpees as a warm up. which let's just disclaimer burpees, very hit or miss is not a warm up. I mean, I'm just, you know, it's let's not call a warm up. Not a warm-up. It's not a warm up. That's right. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's a Q-tip. It's not a warm up, right? <laughs> there you go. Tempo markings, you, not burpees. You know, I'd also love to get like, your hey, thoughts on cherry pickers reach. Um, <laughs> and the validity of a cherry picker. <laughs> Oh man. So if you, if you ever do my cues, you'll know that there's, there's um, constantly, I'm a vocal presence <laughs> to the annoyance of whoever's on cue. Uh, that there are certain workouts that should be outlawed. And so, um, you know, cherry pickers, uh, mm. I feel like are just designed to pop your hamstrings and um, you know, sit-ups once it was outlawed and taken out of the U S army field manual, Robbie, <laughs> you know, Crawdad took that his manual. And so, um, and so, yeah. And then I have, uh, I slipped a yeah. deal. Like I hurt my back about three years ago doing a partner carry up baby Everest, which was ridiculous. Mm. We shouldn't have done it. We outlawed it after that. Uh, I was not very bright. And so there's some things that hurt my back. And so, yeah, I, you know, you know, call it the mumble chatter. I just feel like (laughs) it's my role. If someone's doing cherry pickers, uh, I know that uh, Lily Dipper is a huge fan of cherry pickers. I feel like it's my role to get in his (laughs) head. Oh man. You know, I, I think why, 
I love Lillian for doing cherry pickers. It's just for just the sound he makes on that fourth count. I mean, there, there's nothing like it on a Saturday. <laughs> just, you know. <laughs> it's it's perfect. Yeah. And you know what? You mentioned uh, Dread and OBT. Um, I've never mm. met those guys, but I'd love to one day to thank oh, them yeah. because I think they've impacted the country. And that's mm. not a lot of people can say that. Hey, I've done something yes. that's impacted the country, but I think they have. And so I'd love to thank them one day because they've just done – fantastic yeah. work and it's i mean you, you think know, about me directly starting in north carolina um we, we just hit our five year here in knoxville um and, and think about how much f3 is spread across the, across the country and not just workouts but you think about all the husbands it's, it's impacted sons fathers brothers i mean these these men that now have yeah. a better purpose of hey we are created for so much more um and and being a husband and being a son and being a brother being a, a father for example being a coworker, um yeah i mean the impact has has been tremendous um and um, i know we have the f3 nation tenure coming up in january which should be pretty good um but think yes. think for a minute about your time in f3 you know by the time you, you started F3, you were a, a husband and a father um, and and have have a pretty good track record um, professionally as well. Um, but think about your time since being an F3. Um, what has, has stood out? What has, has helped shape you into, you know, the best version of Crawdad, the best version of, of Robbie Dickens uh, that you are today? And maybe how that's influenced your writing professionally as well if, if you want to share that yeah yeah sure that's great great comment so one thing when you're leading a workout um i think you have this misnomer when you first start like i have to be not only doing it at the front i have to be better than everyone faster than everyone and then you realize quickly hmm. this is a leadership exercise right your goal as a as a cue mm-hmm. is to make sure everyone else gets a good yeah. workout not for you to get a good workout. And um, I think that's so transferable professionally because I've been in leadership roles for the past decade and it's easy to read that in a leadership book. And it's, you know, you, you can even, it's, it's rewarding when you see your staff do good things. But something about just a light turning on over the past five years, when you see other people flourishing and succeeding and in this case, mm-hmm. getting a good workout in and connecting with other men, you know you've done your job well. It really doesn't matter if you didn't sleep well, if you're out of shape, if you've hmm. what I like to call a well-constructed cue, you've thought that out and you've planned it. Mm-hmm. And everybody has different philosophies in the way they cue. So some people plan it out down to the specific detail. I plan constructs. So I mm-hmm. plan five areas of the AO, but sometimes depending on timing, I like the yeah. audible, but it's planned, right? So you got flexibility. But it's all the leadership of it. And so I would say um, enjoying other people's flourishing Mm -hmm. and doing Mm -hmm. good things just feels really good. Um, And that's been a a great lesson to learn. I would say um, as a family, there's nothing cooler. Mm -hmm. So I take Carter. He becomes Jumbo. And when he connects with guys, and then there are days where I hear I'm in mm-hmm. bed and I'm not intending to go to F3 and it's 5:15, and I hear the back door close and a car crank up mm-hmm. and it's your son <laughs> going to F3 without you. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's an amazing feeling. 
I mean, hmm. that, that's really when you feel like, man, this is the process working. Um, and so, you know, where that translates into my writing hmm. is in the area of accountability. So the hardest part of F3 is um, yeah. waking up and putting your shoes on, right? Mm-hmm. Like the workout, it's kind of all downhill once you get in the car. Um, and so the idea of, and this part of willpower doesn't work as well, that book, like how do you erase the externality? So if you've laid out your shorts <laughs> and everyday shorts, whether for me, t-shirt, your gloves, your shoes, your socks, your keys, if you've laid all that out, you just took away one barrier. Okay. So mm-hmm. the hardest part is taking the accountability to prepare. You wake up and you get dressed and you go get in the car. There have been days where I sat in the car and I'm like, what am I doing? It's 18 right. degrees. But I'm in the car, so I'm going to go, right? And so, um, and so the accountability of how do I tear down mm-hmm. barriers for myself so that I'll continue to be accountable? And so for writing, it's like, hey, what are some things that are going to stand away? I mean, mm-hmm. writing for a deadline is a different sensation, right? And so when you know I've got to grind this out and I've got – so during the publishing process, I have to edit this 370-page manuscript – and I have three days to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. there's nothing but to do it. <laughs> you got to literally mm-hmm. lay out your tennis shoes metaphorically. You got to set your alarm. You got to do your chores and you just got to grind it out. And so I would say just mm-hmm. the accountability aspect of how do I tear down barriers? Um, and then at the end, it feels good. So when you get to the bomb, right, it's over. And so let's say it's 25 degrees it's you're standing around, you're <laughs> steaming, steaming your case, right? And you're, you're sweating. You just grind it out a workout. And you're done. You've already accomplished something for the day. There's a, a euphoria that you feel that you go, man, I mean, I'm going to go hit the showers. And it doesn't matter yes. what else I get accomplished today. I've accomplished something. And so I think the mm-hmm. idea of you know, banging out your checklist. Um, <laughs> I don't know how people live without a checklist. I don't know how yeah, people just kind of really nilly go through life. That's, and no, I mean, it, it probably takes more discipline to do that. I, I just can't do it. I don't mm-hmm. have the discipline to go through life without a checklist. And so I yeah. think that's part of leading F3 workouts. And then finally, as far as a friend and a mentor, you know, the big part about F3, if I could communicate mm. anything to anybody, mm-hmm. the biggest deal is just showing up. And same way in life, you know, if you want to be a good friend of somebody, just show up. Uh, we lost our, we had a miscarriage. My wife had a miscarriage for our third child. Um, and the people that ministered to me the most just mm. called and said, I'm sorry. That was it. Just there there wasn't any long pithy sentences or great advice. And I think a lot of times, especially we as men, Mm, we, we want to have the right words to say, you know? And so, you know, your friend Mm -hmm. says, Hey, you know, my mom has cancer. You want to throw everything in. You wants to throw a silver lining at them. Don't just be there. Just show up. And I think that's the beautiful part about F3. Um, that's what I really like about writing. Like I, you know, have not claimed to be John Grisham or Vince Flynn, but it's like, you know what? I showed up and I did this and I'm moving forward and, um, yes. And let the chips were fall where they may, you know, and, and just don't be yeah. afraid of living. Yeah. Oh gosh. So anyway, yeah, those, thank those you. are my takeaways. Um, and I think one thing that, that we would both, uh, agree on pretty hardcore is, uh, for you writing, but for F3 as well, for, for both of us, um, if you get out there in queue, um, and, and for your book as well, and, and, and for your writing, if you impact one person and if you, you change something in, in one person, 
for me, that made the entire queue worth it, right? Um, and and I'm sure you could say that for your book. I mean, obviously, you know, it, it, it's done um, a lot for me so far, even just a couple chapters in. And and when you queue, that's such a good point um, because it's not about you. And I've heard Captain Crunch say that so much, and and, and he's drilled it in. And and um, when you queue. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's not about you. It's about those guys that, that tow the line, that have showed up at 530. Um, and, and I think it's really cool that, that Carter or Jumbo um, is, is now doing F3 as well. And, and, and you see that process come full circle, right, of, of we're building better fathers. We're, we're building better men. Um, we're building better sons. Um, and I, I think that's such a neat gift for you to have with your son. Right. And, and then for Carter to, to impact men in F3 and, and vice versa as it well. Um, yeah. It is. And, mm-hmm. and Captain is obviously one of the great leaders of our city. And so, you know, it's not about you. It's just a great yeah. quote. It's a great quote for F3. It's a great quote for life. Um, being a husband, father, uh, and listen for the females listening. It's a great quote about being a yes. good sister, a good daughter, a, a good uh, friend. Um, I mean, these, these lessons are designed mm-hmm. for men for F3, but it, it's transferable, right? Like uh, being a leader in town, um, you know, we have a female mayor. Uh, we don't have a female president, mm-hmm. a female vice president, and we'll probably have a female president. Like these are just great transferable leadership skills, right? It's not about you. It's about other people flourishing. It's you know, showing up, not being afraid of, you know, being a lot less risk averse, Um and so they're just great lessons mm-hmm. for uh, men and women, boys and girls. Uh, we obviously get to, to do F3 mm-hmm. with men. It's a men peer, peer-led yeah. group for men. Yeah. But um, it's just great leadership lessons. And, um, yeah, hopefully we can continue to impact society. And I'm, yes. I'm really fortunate. Yes, I've got uh, absolutely. This, um, for five years. <laughs> yes, yes, hopefully, yeah. And, ho- and hopefully many I, more. I, I'm excited for our tenure already. Um, we, we, we've done so much um, – so much work in our first five, it, it, it make, makes me really excited to see what um, we're going to do and, and how the Lord is going to use F3 and, and Knoxville um, for the next five. Um, and one one last thing that I I want to hit on before we do a little Nemo-Rama here um, is is something that, that, that you said it mm-hmm. as well, which I thought was just incredibly foundational as well, um, that, that that people just showed up. So, so when you were sharing about uh, about the miscarriage with uh, you and your wife um, and, and really how, how you all have, have grown through that and, and, and really who showed up. Um, once again, F3 is a, a free men's boot camp style workout. Um, that is what men come to, but really F3 is a, a leadership organization, right? Um, but just like you mentioned, um, we need men and sure. women to do this thing in life well, um, with leadership as well. So there's there's something about showing up, something about a high-impact man or a high-impact woman, um, something about their presence that makes the room better. And, and something about just showing up. We need women that are going to show up and, and going to live authentically, live with character, just like we need men to show up that are going to live authentically, live with character. Um, and it and it's such a unique way that, that, that we get to do that within F3, but also get to encourage our, our sisters to do that as well, right? And then encourage our, our guys that, that, that we see in F3 to do that in whatever sphere of influence they find. So I, I thought that was really good that you called that out because, yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yes, and, yes, I, yes. and I want to give a shout out to Fia 
um, because, mm-hmm. you know, they're really changing the town as well. And, um, you know, when we, when we run by there on Saturday mornings and they're out grinding it out, right? They're out in the gloom just grinding mm-hmm. it out. I, I have so much yep. respect and admiration yep. for them because, again, they're showing up. They're trying to get better. Uh, they need support systems in place. They need uh, – well, if, they're, if they're wives and mothers, they need husbands that can make it mm-hmm. uh, possible for them to be there on time if they have small children. If they're single, they need people that are propping them up in life. Um, and so, yeah, FIA is mm-hmm. really uh, doing the same thing, um, and it's just inspirational. Um, and so I'm, I'm just grateful that, you know, you and I have both gotten to experience that uh, it is a mm-hmm. peer-led community leadership organization. And if you, if you attend yes. and you miss yes. that point, you've missed the point. Um, and so I just encourage anybody that's listening, uh, if you're out there and mm-hmm. you haven't gotten to lead yet in queue, uh, lean into it, step into it. it it's fun. And you're gonna have a lot of people supporting you and you're going to fear that you're going to feel mm-hmm. the, the sheer pleasure of seeing other people succeed. Uh, and then on a side note, there's nothing better when someone posts on the slide <laughs> later in the day, Hey, I had to go home and take ibuprofen because yeah, I was hurting so bad. You're like, Oh yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a leadership organization. And so we've been fortunate uh, through dread at the top at the headshed, North Carolina, all the way down through mm-hmm. Captain Crunch here in Knoxville. Uh, and through abscess for his time and now uh, moving into uh, judge Judy for these guys who are taking leadership roles. So I, I we're fortunate to have yes. benefited from their leadership. And so I'm just happy to talk about, you know, the missionary and, um, and the other virus and my F3 experiences just can't, can't thank you enough for having me. Mm-hmm. On. I, I love long form content. I love podcasts. Uh, there's just nothing yes. cooler than just sitting around and just talking shop, talking about life. And so, uh, yeah, I'd love to, anybody wants to follow me uh, on Instagram, I'm at Robertson Dickens. Uh, and then on Facebook, it's at Robbie Dickens. And then Twitter is Dickens zero two. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'd love to have you follow me on, on the social. Absolutely. Well, thank you, and, uh, man, so much man, for, for taking time out of your day great. to do this. Um, I, I am, I'm thrilled that, that we got to have this conversation and talk about life as well. And, um, and if you have not already gotten your copy of the missionary, it is on Amazon. Um, I will include that link in this episode. Uh, definitely do not want to miss out on, on this incredible book by Robbie Dickens. So, um, so man, thank you so much for being so open. Um, I, 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 I've loved getting to know you better through this conversation, um, from, from an F3 perspective, but also just from a, a personal and professional perspective as well. So um, as we always do with the F3 Knoxville podcast, uh, we will end in a classic Namorama where we simply go around um, and and say our hospital name, our age, and our F3 name. So my brother, go ahead. I am Robbie Dickens. my friend. And yours truly is Dan Henson. I am 26 years old and steam is my F3 name. So, brother, thank you. Steam. Steam. Listeners, thank you for having Hi. us. Yes, and, sir. Uh, Until then. Me, and I look forward to seeing Bye. you out in the globe. Okay, thanks for listening to that interview back from 2020 that Steam did with Crawdad. Um, that was the interview that really that I listened to the first time of an F3 Knoxville podcast and really got me wanting to do this project. Um, I think by then Steam had already uh, run out of Steam with the project with the podcast, so um, that was one that got me thinking about what I could do from it here on out. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I will uh, be back next week with Beyond the Cot on Monday, picking up the six on Wednesday and 
mumble chatter on friday hopefully i will have everything figured out in terms of a new intro a uh, better music and uh, a couple special drops here and there um in the new um the new way of me doing these podcasts. So uh, once again, thank you for indulging me in this. Um, I really have been enjoying uh, doing this and learning more about not only podcasting, but getting to know some of these uh, F3 hymns that are around town. As always, this is Davis Bodie, 34 Blindside. Thank you for listening to this F3 Knoxville podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review in your favorite podcast app to help us grow the show. And share this with any sad clown in your life that might need a little F3 to get them going.